And it ended with thousands of men charging forward with dreams of winning glory and victory, only to be quite literally trapped at the bottom of a pit of their own making. The whole chain of events that led up to this dismal outcome certainly qualifies as a notable example of what can happen in warfare when a plan goes horribly awry. Military history is rife with such disasters, but most of them seem to arise due to a failure in, in four categories. Failures in planning, failures in leadership, failures in execution, or failures in adaptation. At the end of this lecture, we'll come back and look at the phenomenon of military blunders in general. And we'll also consider what such disasters can potentially teach us. But before we do that, let's see exactly what transpired during the ill-fated Battle of the Crater. By July of 1864, it was pretty clear that the Union had gained the upper hand in the American Civil War. Victory now seemed assured, and the two principal remaining questions were, first, where would the final defeat of the Confederates take place? And second, how many more men would die before the war was finally over? The main effort of Grant's armies in the East was directed towards capturing the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia. To counter that threat, Robert E. Lee, the commander of the Southern forces in the area, had erected an extensive system of fortifications to guard the approaches to Richmond and to try and thwart the Union advances. The key that could unlock Richmond's defenses for Grant's army was the city of Petersburg, which was located about uh, 23 miles south of Richmond. Petersburg was a vital transportation node. It was a point at which no fewer than nine roads and five railway lines all converged. And so most of the supplies that enabled the defenders of Richmond to keep fighting all funneled through Petersburg. If Grant could seize Petersburg, the path on to Richmond, and so to overall victory in the entire war, would be open. Fully recognizing the strategic importance of Petersburg, the Confederates had excavated a formidable set of fortifications all around the city. A continuous line of elaborate zigzagging trenches with interlocking fields of fire was fronted by a creative array of obstacles. For example, they put up logs that were bristling with spikes. At regular intervals, dozens of well-protected and well-dug-in artillery batteries could pour cannonballs and grape shot into any attacking force. And a string of earthen forts and little strong points studded the entire defensive line. Ultimately, all these fortifications stretch for over 50 miles. After a series of costly attacks foundered up against these imposing fortifications, the Union troops also began to dig in. 
And this resulted in opposing networks of trenches facing one another. And in between was a desolate, shell-torn no-man's land. The offensive to end the war had now devolved into a nightmarish stalemate, with men on both sides huddling miserably in muddy dugouts. This was really a situation that closely resembled the perhaps more famous trench warfare that took place on the Western Front during World War I. Something dramatic was needed to break this impasse. And a young officer in the Union Army, whose name was Henry Pleasance, thought that he had the solution. Now, this Pleasance had grown up in the coal mining region of Pennsylvania. And so drawing upon that knowledge, he now proposed digging...